Happy Tuesday. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The phone number is 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Thanks again for uh, hanging out. I appreciate it. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. So what do you think the word of the year has been or is, I guess, because we're still in it, although it is a bit presumptuous. But Merriam-Webster's dictionary, Merriam-Webster, they're out with the word of the year. They actually have the top 10 or top yeah, top 10 words of the year. But the number one word of the year is gaslighting. Gaslighting. The newly common term, which I kind of feel like I was way ahead of the curve on this. I was talking about gaslighting like, you know, ah, seven, eight years ago. Anyway, the newly common term for lying to someone in order to mentally manipulate them. That topped Merriam-Webster's list of 2022's hottest words and phrases, which also include terms such as cancel culture, oligarch, and queen consort. <laughs> so how they, I, as I understand it, this is basically just based off of the, um, the search results or the amount of times people search for these terms. Gaslighting's first place spot was not due to a single event, though. There was no single event that drove searches for the term, unlike other terms like, well, queen consort, right? I had never heard of that term either, and then the queen died, and all of a sudden everybody was using it as if, oh, this is such a common term. And I'm like, what the heck? So I I admit I gave a vote to queen consort because I had to look it up. I thought it was like, does this mean mistress or something? But no, um, Queen Consort was a single event or, you know, uh, based off of a single event. Um, Gaslighting was searched for basically every day. So it had, (laughs) there was no one event. It was just a constant (laughs) supply uh, of of, uh, searches. Gaslighting's first place spot saw a 1,740% increase in searches from the previous year. Um, quote, in this age of misinformation of fake news, conspiracy theories, Twitter trolls, and deep fakes, gaslighting has emerged as a word for our time, said Merriam-Webster in the announcement. Peter Sokolowski, the dictionary's editor-at-large, said the word was looked up every single day in 2022. Other words that made the top ten include oligarch, that stemmed from Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February, Omicron, Right, that was a popular search word this year because of the the variant of COVID. Another popular term was cancel culture, that was looked up most frequently in January. Why January? Well, that's when Pope Francis used the term in his yearly address to diplomats from around the world. Online dictionary users also turned to Merriam-Webster to look up the word codify. You know what that was about, right? Roe v. Wade. Right, when the Supreme Court Dobbs decision came down, people started looking up the word codify. After President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate was swarmed by FBI agents in August, people started looking up the term raid. You remember that? It's not, well, you don't remember? No, it's true, because they were like, that's not a raid, because Trump said this was a raid. And then the Democrats were like, it's not a raid. And the law enforcement was like, that's not a raid, totally not a raid. 
and that the talking points went out. So what happened? People started looking up the term raid. What is a raid? To try to get clarity to find out who's lying, right? Then when Google fired an engineer who claimed um, that an unreleased AI system had become sentient, people started looking up the word sentient. (laughs) Wait, there's some robot that's got some sort of power. I have no idea what this power is. I need to look this up because it might be bad. All right, sentient. Oh, yeah, that's bad. Okay. Queen consort regarding King Charles's wife, Camilla. Um, also, LGBTQIA. That was a popular search this past year that peaked during June, which is Pride Month. And the last word, to make the top 10, Lomi. <laughs> Not kidding. L-O-A-M-Y. Do you have any idea why? Look, I follow news pretty closely. What I don't follow is Wordle. And that's why this word is on the top 10 list. Apparently, in August, all of those insufferable people that post the screenshots of those little green boxes when they play the Wordle game, apparently, a lot of them got tricked. A lot of them got tricked into guessing the word was Lomi and they started arguing about it or whatever. I guess it was some big deal. I had no idea because I don't follow Wordle. Well, the word was actually clown. Yeah, the word, the correct word for the word game Wordle was clown. But everybody was guessing Lomi and they were Googling it or searching for it, I guess. And so that that was number 10. By the way, in case uh, you didn't know, last year's word of the year Vaccine. Vaccine. Last year. So, gaslighting is 2022's word of the year, which really does make sense because it is the 60th anniversary of a book called The Image, A Guide to Pseudo-Events in America. It was written by Daniel Borston 60 years ago. And Nicholas Claremont at the Washington Examiner does a, uh, a big review of the book 60 years later with the headline... Why does everything feel fake? It's because in part it is. Pseudo-events. Why does the term fake news have so much grasp over our political discourse? why, Why is Generation Z... Well, I'll just leave it right there. Why is Generation Z... No, I'm kidding. Why is Generation Z looking good uh, for them, looking good in their Instagram profile is more important than looking good... In the flesh. Why? Why must television newscasters repeat the same pointless non-story for the third time this hour with the label breaking, which sits there basically all the time? The answer to all of this is in a book that came out six decades ago called The Image. And since it is about the menace of unreality, the book is at least as important on its 60th anniversary as it was at the moment of its release. Its simple answer is this. Everything feels fake because in part it is. More specifically, everything feels fake because since the invention of the photograph and a lot of other technologies that followed from roughly the same time period, the reproduction and dissemination of words and images has become so technologically cheap and easy that ideas have become cheap. 
Everything is now a copy, usually a copy of a copy. So a believer in the nog, in eggnog, would that make you nog stick? Would that make you a nog stick? News Talk 1110-993 WBT. I mean, I know it exists. I just don't know. I believe in... <laughs> would the anti-noggers, would they be agnostics? Anyway, um, sorry. I was just... Uh, for people listening on the podcast, you didn't hear that promo. So uh, <laughs> it was Brad Winterville talking about... His love of nog, eggnog. I like eggnog. I mean, I'm not saying I drink it any other time of the year, except for, yeah, like once, maybe. I mean, it has probably been, I don't know, a decade since I had a nog. It's been a long time. But uh, I like it. It's very thick. You can't drink a lot of it. They're like, uh, they're like those cider beers, you know, like Hornsby's and whatever all of the the breweries do nowadays. It's just uh, like one or two, except with eggnog, it's one. And they're very small cups because they're like 7,000 calories. So it's just not, it's not a wise choice. Uh, Anyway, so why does everything feel fake? This is a piece at the Washington Examiner going over a book that was written 60 years ago, and it's called The Image, A Guide to Pseudo-Events in America. It was written by Daniel Borston. Borston superseded and drew on a fellow by the name of Walter Lippmann. That name probably rings a bell. The master and in many ways the founder of modern media studies. This is the guy, Walter Lippmann, created the term stereotyping in 1922. A stereotype was a, quote, distorted picture or image in a person's mind, not based on personal experience, but derived culturally. This is You know where that term comes from? This is funny. I mean, yes, Walter Lippmann first used this term stereotyping to describe how people essentially, you know, project biases and make, you know, value judgments based on, you know, characteristics of other people and whatever. But it's actually, this is so, <laughs> this is so spot on. It actually comes from journalism. It actually comes from the actual, well, okay, not the, not the practice or the art of journalism, but uh, no, the the mechanics of it, the process of putting out a paper, of publishing a paper, it's a printing technique where you have the 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 letters, like the blocks of letters. You know, you had to arrange all of the blocks and stuff, and they would they would all move and they would raise up, and they were on a mold of a page called a chase, and then the paper can be pressed onto it with ink, and that produces a page of a newspaper. And so it's it's kind of uh, on the nose that it was from newspapers that we get the idea of stereotyping, right? Okay. So thinking in cheaply reproduced ideas, because Nicholas Claremont makes this argument that is made in the book The Image, um, that ideas have become cheap because the dissemination of words and images have become so technologically cheap And that has turned ideas into cheap things, too. Everything becomes a copy or a copy of a copy or a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, right? And so when you think in cheaply reproduced ideas, 
culturally for a society that becomes a habit. As such, people responsible for disseminating words and images, <clears throat> media, hey, I'm part of that, as well as media consumers, we have created a never-ending feedback loop in which we demand more fakeness and then are provided it. The process trains us to accept what Borston called pseudo-events as legitimate subjects for coverage. So, what's a pseudo-event? Glad you asked. And when I describe this, you're going to go, I know exactly what that is. A pseudo-event is anything that takes place just to be reported on. There's no other reason except to get coverage. That's it. That's a pseudo-event. It is a news event that is contrived for the purpose of being a news event. The uh, you know, prime example is going to be a press conference of any size, whether it's you know, a grand reopening of a department store to a presidential address. It's a press conference, a choreographed event that exists only for the purpose of the coverage that it receives. Right? Because if there's no media then there isn't any reason to have the news conference, right? Well, at least that's what the case was back when the guy wrote the book, when Borston wrote the book 60 years ago. Today, it would probably be when somebody puts on an outfit and goes out somewhere just so they can photograph themselves doing it. You know, something for the gram. Put it up on the gram. There is, a, um, there is a, an example listed in this story that apparently there is a there is a uh, photography studio in Moscow that rents out private jets that never leave, that never fly. They're just on the tarmac. They rent them out, and people get on the jet, and they take pictures of themselves on the charter plane, on this fancy plane, so they can post it out onto social media. <laughs> I've just thought of an idea for a business. Hang on. Do I know anyone with a fancy plane? All right. Step one, get a fancy plane. Step two, something. Step three, make millions. All right. I think, I'm, I, think I got my retirement figured out. Um, so this is apparently a thing that they're doing in Russia. The process that occurs when we, quote, mix up our roles as actor and audience, which we now call post-modernity, post-modernism, right? It applies to more than just the development of journalism. He talks about 60 years ago, Borston was talking about, you know, fame and a person who is known for his well-knownness. That's it. Somebody who's famous just for being famous. Kim Kardashian, for example, right? That is the human pseudo-event. It only exists because of the media, because of the coverage. That's it. That's a human pseudo-event. And so, yes, we're going to talk about Kanye West today. I've got the audio from the podcast that he stormed out of. <laughs> but I'm going to finish on Borston stuff. By the way, I'm a bird watcher. Not like actually watch not like a bird watcher, whatever those people are called that like go out with the binoculars. Although I do enjoy like watching birds. But um, 
No, on the Twitter. So I, re- I, I, I fact check people on Twitter now. They've given me power. What can- <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's fun. I just, I got, I just sit and I wonder, gosh, I wonder what these people must think when they, they post something that they think is oh so witty and trollish and then they get slapped with a bird watch community note on it that says basically you're not funny and what you said is stupid. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't say that because I don't want to lose my special privileges, you know. Oh, I just got followed by the idiot. That's fantastic. He's going to be disappointed. Um, well, I could tell right away. See, this is the thing. When you put in your profile, the guy's name is FIFO. Conservative Twitter offers no practical contribution to society. It merely serves as an outlet for disdain and propaganda. Yeah, so I got a pretty good idea. I should just go ahead and block the guy right now. <laughs> anyway, so the human pseudo event. Think Kim Kardashian, somebody who is famous just for being famous, right? This comes to the, the, the pseudo event. The term comes from this book 60 years ago. Uh, that's his first name. Daniel Borston wrote uh, the name of the book is called The Image, A Guide to Pseudo Events in America. And he talked about a press conference being sort of like the prime example of a pseudo event. Nowadays, you you say, okay, it's probably the people who, you know, get dressed up for their Instagram and don't actually get dressed up in real life. You you know who I'm talking about. Right. They're all dressed up for those Instagram pictures. They look fantastic. And then you they're out on the street and they're dressed like schlubs. You know, what's up? Are you wearing like a like a hefty garbage bag getting on a plane? What why? Do we not do we not get dressed up for anything anymore? People like barely even get dressed. Okay, so the uh, the person who is a person uh, or is known rather for his well knownness, that is the human pseudo event. All right. Pseudo events are all over the place, whether people or actual events. They're in the worlds of travel, art, literature, book publication, international relations, national self-understanding. I mentioned this at the end of the show yesterday. Let me see. Oh, I have. Hang on. Hang on. It's Turkey. It's Turkey. The country. They don't want to be called Turkey anymore. They're actually really offended that their name is Turkey and that we named a bird after them. <laughs> They're very upset about it. I had no idea. They would like us to call it Turkeya because that's how they pronounce it. And you know me. I'm okay with it. That's why I say Guatemala. Right? I was taught this by the news anchors back in the 90s that they, we started pronouncing everything as, you know, as it's pronounced by the people who live in the place. That's why you say Chile. That's why we're doing the whole Camp Lejeune thing, right? It's not Camp Lejeune. All these years, it's been Lejeune. And the family's like, yeah, you know, not for nothing, it's pronounced Lejeune. Okay. Look, if you came up to me and you said, hey, my name is, uh, you know, Joe uh, Thibodeox. Okay, I'm going to call you Joe Thibodeox. Even though when I look at your name as it's spelled, it's Thibodeau. Right? That is a King of the Hill reference. But actually, it was Thibodeox. He had two X's. <laughs> so anyway, uh, if you want your country to be called Turkeya, because that's the way you pronounce it, that's your language, I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. I, you know. But the Turkish president is asking the international community to recognize his nation by its traditional name. 
So it's spelled T-U-R-K-I-W-E. Sorry, I-Y-E. Ye. Yay. Ooh, Turkey. 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 Oh my gosh. Is this connected to Kanye? It might be. Turkey. That's how they want it pronounced. Tur or Turkeye. See, here's the problem. It's that U. It's got that thing on top of it. Those two little dots over the U, what do they call that thing? The umlata or something? Or is that the is that the code where you like in the mafia where if you rat you get killed? Is that what that was? It's the code of the umlata. Anyway, his government promoted the shift as an effort to instill national pride and silence associations with the Thanksgiving bird. So this is actually part of Thanksgiving. This is part of the react the reaction to Thanksgiving and our eating of the turkeys. They don't like it. And, of course, all of the pejorative uses of the word turkey, like, oh, my gosh, look at that turkey driving down the road. An article published by the website of the state TV channel cited, quote, not flattering comparisons to the bird. It added, flip through the Cambridge Dictionary and turkey is defined as something that fails badly or is a stupid or silly person. The State Department, U.S. State Department, which generally green lights these name shifts, is still undecided, according to conversations with numerous policy officials. And there are several explanations for this. But a lot of officials said the agency is probably going to follow suit eventually. Some people uh, at the NSC said people there weren't even aware that the State Department had not made the change. One official said, quote, the umlaut is a pain in the tuchus to type. That's really what's holding it up at the State Department. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's just, yeah, you, you got to go back and type the T, because they spell it T-U with the two dots over it, R-K-I-Y-E, Turkey-E, Turkey-E. Yeah. According to various historians, the Thanksgiving bird got its name sometime in the 1500s when it arrived to Great Britain from America via merchants, mostly from Constantinople, which I heard you cannot go back there. It's known today as Istanbul. Given the perceived origins, the British referred to the bird as a Turkey Coke. I don't know. There's a deeply held resentment towards the West by the the Turkish president and others that Turkey's name is synonymous with a bird. The ironic part is that the bird is named after the country. Not the country after the bird. There you go. So if, if you could all adjust your pronunciations accordingly, thank you. But this is an example of sort of these... These pseudo-events occurring in all sorts of... He called a press conference to announce this as part of national self-understanding. For the news media, the shift from passive to active interaction, the move from news gathering to news making, it's brought fundamental changes in the way that we experience the world around us. Of course it would, right? Let me get Bain on real quick. Hello, Bain. Welcome to the program. What's going on? Hey, I got another example of a pseudo-event... A poll. Yeah. Those are not events. Right. Usually you commissioned. By Neil, you ever read anything by Neil Postman? Uh, maybe. The name rings a bell. Yeah, he wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Yes. I think he quotes this guy. 
And he also talks about, I want to say Marshall McLuhan, he said the medium is the message. Mm. Yeah. And, he, and then he goes on and he says, it's really the massage. And that's what it is. The medium itself massages. Because, you know something, news does not exist. There is no such thing as news. Or we would come on the air at 6 and say, hey, gang, everything's fine. We're going to run Bugs Bunny today. It doesn't happen. We've got to fill the hour up. So it therefore becomes news. When have you ever heard, guys, ain't nothing happening? Well, I've said this Never. for years. Nobody would buy a newspaper from the kid on the corner screaming that nothing happened today. Read all about all it. All is well. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. And this is, the, this is the inherent tension in all media operations, every one of them. But, it's why, but yesterday I read the piece that was in the L.A. Times that quoted this old radio guy, and he said, look, we're filling time until catastrophe happens. That's what radio does. Right? I mean, seriously, like radio particularly, because when, when well, a disaster occurs, we, like we're there. Correct. It's hard then to be able to make value judgments because everything comes across. The lead story is the most important story. Therefore, it deserves our attention. We must tune in. Right. When really it might not be anything. No, that's... Portable... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's why I started the whole show with the most important topic that the word of the year is gaslighting. Oh, yeah. Well, part of this is, yes, is, is um, I think, too, is our attention span, because we speak in sound bites because we choke on anything bigger. Yeah. Bane, I appreciate the call, but i got to run. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm not trying to cut you off. I just have a very short window here to get through it. Talk 1110-993-WBT. <laughs> so uh, I was talking about how the, the president of Turkey, 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 Turkey. It's good. Look, I got to I got to work it out. You know, got to get the muscle memory here because we've been calling it Turkey for so long. But now they don't want to be called Turkey. They want it pronounced in their traditional pronunciation, which is Turkey, Turkey, all right, Turkey. 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 See, if you just say it like that enough times, then it kind of sticks in the brain. Anyway, uh, the ironic part, according to one expert, Sonar Kagapte, is how he pronounces it, I think. A Turkish-American political scientist at Washington Institute. It's a think tank. Um, He says the ironic part is that the bird is named after the country, not the country after the bird. And when it was brought to America, they called it something like Turkey Coke or something, and so then it got turned into just Turkey, and uh, Turkey doesn't like that very much, and so they want to go back to their pronunciation. And this is a great point from Dean. He says, if the bird is named after the country, then do we now need to change the pronunciation of the bird to Turkey? And I believe we do. That's that's the only explanation that makes any sense, right? I mean, obviously, the logic there is undeniable. Oh, there you go, Chris. Thank you. Um, you can, instead of uh, Turkey, um, if they're going to change their name, there are far superior alternatives, uh, like Turdukinye. <laughs> Don't the people who live in Spain call it España? Just wondering. I think so. Uh, 
Wordle puzzle requires five letter five letter answers. Clam is four. What? Clam wasn't one of the Clown. Clown was the winning word, and people thought it was Lomi. I don't know. Uh, I'm hearing endless news about uh, the Chinese COVID crisis. Can't our government afford to send our virus impresario, Dr. Uh, Tony the Science Fauci, to explain what the solution is? How about a one-way ticket? Well, that's a great idea. I mean, seriously, they're not doing a mass vaccination campaign over there. By the way, the protests are continuing today. I just saw some videos reposted up onto Twitter of uh, they're now tearing down the testing stations and stuff. Because they, they're setting up isolation pods and, and like these whole little cities that they're building to just stick people in them. Who knew that the FEMA camps were actually going to be in China? That's, that's where they built them. Um, all right. So talking about this guy, Borston, Daniel Borston's book, 60 years ago, it came out called The Image, A Guide to Pseudo-Events in America. And basically, it explains why everything feels fake. It's because it in large part, is. A lot of events in our world are contrived specifically to serve PR purposes, right? The process by which pseudo-events beget other pseudo-events, and then they just slowly take over everything, rendering all of the world a soundstage. It has wrought fundamental changes to the way we experience the world around us. This impacts, and he goes through all of this stuff in this, by the way, this is again at the Washington Examiner, a piece by Nicholas Claremont, um, he goes through details on magazines, like, for example, Reader's Digest. I had no idea what that business model was all about. It's pretty amazing. Uh, books, film, Muzak, right? Muzak, paintings with the mechanical reproductions, and, of course, Madison Avenue, right? The ad agencies, celebrities, and best-selling books, they exist for the same reason. We, cra- we, we crave a shared experience, and marketers know it, right? Borston points out in a discussion of beloved huckster P.T. Barnum, contrary to popular belief, Barnum's great discovery was not how easy it was to deceive the public, but rather how much the public enjoyed being deceived. The image, the book, is a masterpiece of media studies because it transcends cliches and it makes you think much harder about what is really happening in our culture than simply blaming things on manipulation and moving on. Being a conservative, Borston is able to see the spread of fakeness as a demand-side problem, not a supply-side one. The fault lies not in our Hollywood stars or your favorite radio hosts, but in ourselves. Quote, our problem is harder to solve because it's created by people working honestly and industriously at respectable jobs. It's not created by demagogues or crooks or by conspiracy or for evil purposes. The efficient mass production of pseudo-events in all kinds of packages, in black and white, in technicolor, in words, and in a thousand other forms, is the world of the whole machinery of our society. (laughs) 